0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition, and I'm glad you're joining us today. If you're coming in through the Zoom app, uh, we'd like you to open up your Q&A box or the chat window and put your comments and questions in those uh, windows, appropriate windows, and uh, join in in the conversation. We have a very interesting, unusual program today. We hope you'll... uh, chime in with your thoughts, questions, and comments. Uh, if you're coming in on the Facebook page, uh, that would be Scott's Facebook page. You just enter the comments in there and we'll be monitoring monitoring your comments there. So let me bring in the panel. My, my name is Drew. I'm your host uh, for the Tuesday edition. And we have Scott Smeltzer, who is uh, our program director. Scott, how are you doing?
1: Drew, I'm well today. How are you? Doing
0: very well and I don't know where that other that sound is coming I think it's coming in from our secret
1: guest visitor sound coming from there you hear it is it just me Scott, you hear I hear it day? sounds like a washing machine having trouble
0: yeah okay also uh, Jonathan you're with us today how are you doing Jonathan good to see you Oh, Jonathan, do you hear me? Uh-oh. We a technical issues today?
1: Uh-oh. Looks like Jonathan froze. Frozen. Jonathan okay. has well, not moved in the last 10 seconds. I think he froze.
0: Yeah, it's froze. So we got a little audio problem. But let me bring in Carl. Uh, in fact, what we're going to do today is we're going to have, uh, we're going to interview a uh, good friend, Carl Ballard. Um, I'll let, uh, uh, well, we're going to interview him about his amazing story. Uh, from, uh, from an atheist to a gospel preacher. And it's going to be an interesting story. We invite you to join in on the conversation with questions that you may have for Carl. And uh, Scott, why don't you just take over and uh, start uh, start the program off? All
1: right. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And you're about to hear a really interesting story. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. There's a lot, of, a lot of interesting things and valuable things in it. Uh, There's a story of how uh, a young disciple of Christ, young lady chose to respond to a worldly fellow, you know, paying attention to her. Uh, There's a story of how we could use natural gifts that we have for God's glory. Uh, Like if you happen to have the gift of language and that type of thing. Uh, There's a story of, well, I'm instead of telling you more about the story, let's get right to it. Carl is a friend of ours. We're really glad to have you here today. And why don't you kind of start off and let us know how all this came about?
2: All right, guys, it's uh, it's really great to be here. Thank you so much for the invite. That washing machine was my ceiling fan. I turned it off. I think hopefully that that hum will go away now. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm really grateful to be, be able to be here. Uh, we talked a little bit before. Um, I'm a little shy about this story, but I think it's there's some value in, in telling it. I'm trying to be talking about myself so much, perhaps. But um, I do this because I hope it'll be encouraging to others, some who may be struggling with, with atheism, others who are struggling to reach out to people who seem to be uh, antagonistic to the gospel. And I certainly want to emphasize how much God's grace and his providence were involved in my life, bringing me to the point of conversion in just ways that are amazing and, and would never have imagined uh, being possible. I uh, Thank you for the opportunity to share that for his glory. Uh, I'm not sure where you'd like me to begin. Uh, if you have Let's some questions. For you. Uh-huh.
0: What'd Let's you
1: say, Scott? Uh, say your college age, I guess, or post-college. And what were your views at the time? And, uh, and what was your interaction with uh, Disciple of Christ?
2: Well, I was, I was going to school at Western Kentucky University, and I uh, should have been done in four years. I went there to study journalism, but really had no idea what I wanted to do and jumped all over the place doing all kinds of different things. Long story short, I dropped out for a while. And this was in my eighth year now of living uh, in Bowling Green, and a Christian young girl moved in next door to me. And uh, I remember telling my roommate, I would ask her almost every day, at least every couple days, if she wanted to go to the bar with me to hear a friend of mine's band playing. I wasn't much of a drinker, but I like to go to the bar to, to hear my friend's band. And she every time would say, I'm not interested in going to the bar with you, but if you'd like to study the Bible, I'll study the Bible with you. And so that's such a shocking, a shocking thing to hear. And so I remember telling my roommate, I am going to get that girl to quit studying the Bible and and go to the bar with me. And you're going to see, she's going to date me. I'm going to get her to quit studying the Bible. Uh, But she never did go to the bar with me. And so she knew I, at this point, was an English major and she knew I liked poetry. And so she would kind of just, why don't you look at these Psalms and have me start reading a couple of Psalms. And I thought that was kind of fascinating. I had had a Bible some years before I grew up in an Adventist home. I had been baptized when I was 15 uh, at a church that about two weeks afterward, I decided I didn't want to be part of and, and just fell away and started going way down uh, the road toward atheism and, and denying uh, even the possibility of God existing. And so I started trying to find these Bible passages. And it was interesting, I read some in Ecclesiastes and Proverbs as she was pointing things out to me. But I kept trying to point out to her some what I consider to be logical contradictions about. the evils that are in the world if there's this perfect and good God, and she was consistent with me about just looking into what the Bible said. I finally got to the point where I decided it was time, and I I talked with my roommate about this. He was uh, very on board with what I was trying to do. I talked with him about the fact that I was going to try to use the Bible to prove to her that God does not exist by showing her all the errors in the Bible, all the loopholes, and then pointing to the world around us and saying, you know, this is just another myth. And so God doesn't really exist. But in order to do that, I had to actually start reading the Bible. And so uh, that was my, my fatal flaw. Uh, <laughs> I began to, to actually uh, deeply think about what I was doing for the first time. I had not really been deep in thought about these things. It just seemed to like my kind of a more convenient way of dealing with things and having to admit there was some greater being that I may have to be responsible to i be accountable
0: to. So, so you're not seeking,
1: you're not seeking as I want to know what God wants from me. You're seeking to prove to this girl that the Bible is not true. She needs to go to the bar with you.
2: Absolutely. Sadly, my motivation was not seeking for God. At least at the time, you know. Even though in some of that, I can see I was seeking for some answers, right. uh, but I wasn't sure that they were going to be in the Bible for sure. But it was it was amazing, again, how God's providence worked out. Um, I had a love for languages. And after being out of college for so long, I only had a few classes left to get my degree. And so I was taking these courses and I was padding the rest of my, uh, my college courses with uh, things that were fun for me. And one of those was a German course. I was trying to learn German just because I thought that would be something fun to do. Uh, and so as providence would have it during about midway through the course, the, the professor came and said, there's going to be a, an exchange uh, trip to uh, Austria. We're going to spend the second half of the semester for five weeks in Austria. And if anybody would like to go, let me know. So I let him know. I'd love to do that. I uh, had traveled a little bit before, but uh, not very much, but I, I
1: wanted to do this. I thought it'd
2: be a great way to really get good at the language.
1: And for time frame, what year is this?
2: This is going to be 1996. Okay. 96, so a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah. So, I go back and I'm talking to this this neighbor of mine who's trying to get me to read Bible, and I tell her, "Hey, look, there's going to be this exchange program to Austria. I'm all excited about it, and so I'm really looking forward to going." And she said, "Do you think they would let me go?" I thought that's crazy, and she said, "Well, I was supposed to go last year on an exchange program like this, and it fell through. You think they would let me get in on this one?" Well, of course I didn't think they would, but I gave her the professor's name, and she went and talked to him, and He let her go, even though she wasn't taking any German classes. In fact, only she and I went. There was no other people that signed up for it, but the exchange program still went. So she and I ended up taking this exchange program together. And to continue with God's providence, when we finally got to Austria, her host family didn't show up at the airport to pick her up. Uh, Only mine did. And we waited for a while for her, her host to show up and finally called around and never got an answer. Uh, my host family called to try to find her host, never got an answer. So they invited her to come to their their summer home for a weekend uh, while they tried to figure out things and would try to get her uh, back with her host on that Monday. At any rate, they fell in love with her over that weekend and said, if anything happens with your host family, we've got an extra room. You just come and stay with us. So again, she got back to Austria to Vienna on Monday, her host picked her up. It was a college girl who said, I don't need to know your name. I don't know anything about you. I'm not really interested. I'm just getting money for this. And so please don't bother talking to me. Here's your space. Okay. Okay. She was devastated. <laughs> yeah. So she called my host family and said, can I take you up on that offer? And uh, so they kicked me out of the room I was going to be in and put me up in a little loft and gave that room to her. Uh, go ahead. Drew.
0: I have a question. Are you still in the mental state of trying to prove the Bible is of hopes is not real to her in your frame of mind here
2: yeah i've drawn a lot closer to her this is several months into our knowing each other and, and i was reading the bible more regularly now and trying to find these loopholes i still wasn't obviously uh thinking of becoming a believer at this point but i was reading and trying to find these loopholes and wasn't finding them. i was getting kind of frustrated at that uh sort of but i've been reading now through the book of acts and i was looking a little bit at uh, john the gospel of john and was struggling with some of the language in that, thinking this guy was kind of arrogant talking about this man sent from God when he was talking about himself. realized later he was talking about John the Baptist. But anyway, uh, it was kind of confusing at first when I first started reading through that. But um, so, yeah, I'm in the process. But what that did was it put her in the home where I was so she could keep pressing me on studying the Bible. And she had done her homework and found out where they were – People who were meeting following the New Testament pattern, people that were getting together to study the Bible and worship together, about an hour away in the town of Bratislava, Slovakia, a pretty quick train ride from Vienna. And she had made plans to be going there every weekend. And of course, at that point I was already speaking enough German to get around. Uh, I, I learned languages really quickly, I learned at that point, but I was able to get enough German to get around. She didn't speak any. And so I was kind of watching out for it. and I went and got our tickets and was going to take her there and then come back just make sure she got there okay. But when I got there, the two families that were working in uh some of you may know uh, uh, David Dieselkamp and Rick Ligon and their families. So they were working there at the time uh, as missionaries teaching the, teaching the word of God. They invited me to stay instead of going back home. And so I ended up taking them up on that offer. Uh, it's funny because years later, uh, Rick Ligon would, would tell me, you were the first guy with earrings I ever met that I really liked. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, well, I just, no, that's Scott,
0: we forgot to ask him, what did he look like at that time? 1996,
2: 98. Uh, it was a little bit different. I had two <laughs> earrings in this ear. Um, and I took those out fairly soon into my conversion, not because anyone said anything to me about it, but I began to just kind of think about what a barrier they might be to so being able to talk with people, especially since Rick had said that. And he he had to kind of look through that to see me, uh, but anyway, um, so I stayed that first weekend and they had some Bible studies. They were they had a basement in their home where everybody was meeting, and uh, so I got to meet the congregation that was there. And it was churchy, it was normal, I guess, a little different than being in a in a formal church building, but I wasn't that impressed and wasn't really looking for any of that. But it it became a pattern that she would go every weekend and I would go and they would invite me to stay and I would stay. And so they were working through the book of Acts and I began really to study it and to look through it. And they began to ask me questions I couldn't answer. And uh, they had a, a kind of a gospel meeting while I was there. That was about some pretty deep questions. I don't remember exactly what the questions were, but they really made me think. Um, and I remember a, kind of a turning point with me. They uh, they played this Uh, This video they had, it was a video cassette that was back on VHS back in the day, uh, of a man who had been studying the environment around where Mount St. Helens blew up, and there was kind of a second working of a Grand Canyon that had formed, and he was talking about the geologic age that was expected of some of the formations there, but he knew they were only a few years old, because he had been there before they were there, and they had exactly the same kind of geologic data that you find in the Grand Canyon.
1: But
2: and it's was, Exactly. And so, so the whole point was, it gave me a different perspective than evolution as to why things might be the way they are. And his argument was that he believes the flood did the same thing. The structures like the Grand Canyon and other structures in the world that are, that are result of a catastrophe like that. And so that made me begin to think of a possibility beside evolution that was viable. And so it really kind of rocked my, my orientation a little bit. So couple that with the fact that I wasn't finding all these loopholes and flaws in the Bible that I expected to find. And so that goes on for the first couple of months while we're there. And I remember uh, one day they told me that as I I came, they were going to put my feet to the fire and ask me some really hard questions. And so I went with a hardened heart already that day. It was just me and them on this day. I made a special trip. And the kind of questions they were asking me were really just getting to the core of what my disbelief was, and I didn't have any really good answers, and so I just I kind of hardened up, and they they saw that they said okay, since you're not willing to really d- to open up and talk with us, we've got things to do, just come with us while we while we do our errands. We're not gonna leave you here with our wives, and so I took off on the day with them, and that day was a was a turning point in many ways. They had a man in town who was going to be doing some uh, some studies with them, uh, and who had come for some studies, and so we were going to like bookshops to get some um, some copies made for flyers and get some posters made and things. And I noticed, you know, we're in Europe. Uh, uh, it's, it's very, very sensual society, the things they have on billboards and on the walls and on the windows and things. But I noticed as we go into these bookstores, the men would reach over and turn around the calendars that had these exposed women on them. As soon as the first one would go in, he'd turn it around. So the men behind him wouldn't have to see that. And I thought, who does that? What the world is that? But I noticed it. And I began to notice the way they treated each other's families, the way they treated each other. And you know, I was basically was living with them every weekend. And so I got to see them in close proximity. There were two families, two large families living in the same home. And I watched the respect they had for one another. I watched how they dealt with issues that came up. And I began to see people who were living what they taught.
1: Let's <laughs> stop and think about that just for a second, because in Matthew chapter five, We can't just have example and not teach the word. We we, the word needs to be there, but if it's not backed up with example, you know, it's not powerful. Matthew five, Jesus calls us to be the light of the world, and a lot of that has to do with how how we just behave and act, and that's that's what you are seeing shining through. While your your logical arguments haven't been affected, it's this example and the hearts of these various disciples that that's uh remarkable uh the the ligands and the diesel camps two really good families i got to be probably in that same home maybe 91 i was over in prague in east europe and got to go over there and have uh a thanksgiving dinner with them and we i'd known them also from, from years back but good guys and one of the things here they went over to east europe to teach East Europeans, and of course, they taught people in East Europe, but who knows, you know, what else is going to happen, and it leads to a lot more things, so continue on, Carl.
2: Yeah, thank you for that. Uh, they, it it were such wonderful families to be around, and, you know, I kind of mentioned I had kind of a religious upbringing. I was brought up going to church and had actually been baptized at 15 after a six-week course and don't remember anything that they taught me in that course, but. Uh, So I had kind of a religious background, but I noticed mostly the hypocrisy, and certainly my family wasn't living the way the Bible taught to live uh, when I was growing up, and we weren't we were okay people, but we weren't living moral biblical lives. But this these families were, and I could tell that they were really intent on doing what they saw the Bible teaching, and so that really changed my perspective on some things. And again, we've got God's providence working this providential hand that's kind of guiding all this through. I go back to to Vienna after this time with them. And it's been several months now that I've been out of the country. And so I call home to see how my mother is doing. And during our our phone call, she tells me she's going through her second divorce, that her second husband has moved out, but is breaking into the house at night and stealing things. And she's worried about how that's going to go. My Oldest of my two younger sisters had gotten married shortly before I went. She was now divorced and was moving in with her girlfriend, uh, her future wife, as she was planning it. My youngest sister, who uh, was at the time 15, was using heroin and uh, was always out running the streets doing drugs. And so it was such all of this just fell on me at one time. And I stopped and I thought, all these things I'm reading about in the Bible. And all these things I'm seeing in the lives of these people who are doing what the Bible says is so different yeah. than the yeah. life my mother is living. And she grew up in the church. She grew up in a religious home, but never practiced it. And I started just thinking, you know, I started working backwards, kind of looking at the forks in the road where my young sister started taking drugs. And well, my mom had always said, if you want to take drugs, take them here in the house where I'll know where you are. So she made that an easy environment. And so if mom hadn't said that, if she had taught what the Bible taught about being, you know, addicted to things and, and and not having self-discipline, where would my little sister be? And if my mom had not told my bigger sister, uh, you know, if you want to be promiscuous, do it here in the home. At least I will know where you are. Then where would my bigger sister be right now? And if my mom had been listening to the Bible and hadn't divorced my father, the first, the first one she divorced, where would she be now? And I started thinking, you know, there's a lot of truth to what the Bible teaches. It's not just these ancient mythical words, but it really does touch our lives. And I began to think, go ahead, go ahead, Scott.
1: No, 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 finish that thought.
2: Well, I began to think that the, uh, the best thing I could do was to really embrace these things that I'm learning and then teach them and see if it didn't change their lives too. So that's when I really began to consider, maybe this is working on me.
1: <laughs> this is so powerful. I want to ask Drew and Jonathan to share a verse that may be coming to their mind. I want to share one verse that's coming to my mind on this. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, You're an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may show forth the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And that sounds like that's one of the things you were seeing. You were seeing families where there was light and you were seeing families where light had been stepped farther and farther away from and just darkness. Drew, Jonathan.
0: I'm thinking of the one where Paul, he said that he was transformed out of the world of dark, out of the uh, kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Yeah. And I, I just mentioned this on last Sunday that Jesus claimed to be the light and he is the light. But if every Christian, didn't walk by the Spirit, how would the world see His light today? Yeah.
3: yeah. John. Yeah, there's a, a verse in Hebrews that has always kind of stuck with me. I was taught it whenever I was really young. And the more that I think about it, the more um, I think that it's really true. In Hebrews 4 and verse 12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, oh, yeah. able to pierce between bone and spirit, thought and, and mind, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And things like that and it's like i've noticed this in my own life but i've also noticed it in other people's lives the more uh, there are a lot of people in the world like, like carl is describing there are a lot of people in the world that have kind of a, a predisposed attitude towards the bible that uh, i'm not interested it's just that's just hocus pocus that's just you know foolishness and things like that but i've never really read it and with all of those people everyone that i've come in contact with at least and, and talked to the people that genuinely sit down and start reading it, and genuinely wanting to see what it's about, change that thought process pretty quickly. Um, and Carl's Carl's a good example of that, but there, there are a lot of other people that are that way as well. Carl, continue the story.
2: Absolutely, I appreciate that. Uh, the last thought especially, Jonathan, because you know after what the Bible did for me, actually reading it did for me, it just lit a fire in me to want to make sure other people are reading it at least. People that say they don't believe, I say, well, have you ever read it? Well, let's just read it together. Yeah. What a powerful thing that is. The word is what does the work. And so it was me foolishly trying to use the word against my Christian friend that, you know, made me not be a fool anymore. <laughs> it, uh, it taught me the truth. So, you know, that this is such an impactful moment, though, that call home. And I began to contemplate that, you know, there's no truth in what I've been living and what my family lived, but there is in what I'm seeing and what I'm reading. And it scared me so bad that I didn't go uh, back to Bratislava the next weekend. Uh, it just so happened I'd been in the, uh, in the U.S. embassy or whatever they're called over there. And there was a big sign that said, if you are an American citizen, do not go to Bosnia, Herzegovina, or any of it. old Yugoslavia. Very active and very dangerous right now. So I go home and my host family was also hosting some uh, Bosnian refugees <laughs> and they were going to go home for the next weekend. And they all, you know, the guy said, would you like to go with me? And I said, of course, <laughs> I go native. that won't be dangerous. And so I ran. I, I, later on, I thought about, you know, comparing that maybe to, to Jonah when he realized what God wanted him to do. He didn't want to do it. So I ran as far away as I could from Bratislava where I'd have to face some of those issues. Uh, but while I was there, It's amazing, I was reading through my journal not too long ago that I was writing about the things that I saw. Uh, The guy who was with me woke me up, it was like a 48 hour bus ride. It was an incredible long ride. And the middle of all this shelled out war-torn area and he woke me up and said, you're missing all the shot out houses. And I woke up and I mean, there were destroyed houses everywhere. And he was kind of proud of this uh, as he was showing me his country. And when I finally got off the bus, the air was rancid. Everything was flat and square and ugly. It's almost like it was in black and white. I remember it very distinctly. It was kind of the sepia tone. There was no color. And I remember writing in my journal that the policy of atheism had left this country without art, without hope, and without any kind of life or color. And it's just what it felt like. And I could, when I read that, I thought, wow, the Bible was working on me at that point already. Because for me to see that, that vividly, I wouldn't have noticed that. Before. Uh, and so, I came back from that that week away, that weekend, and, and a few days after that away, completely ready to really knuckle down and think about what the Bible was teaching. Uh, and so that would have been that was actually uh, on on my birthday on November 3rd that I made that weekend trip. And um, the and next couple of weeks, I really knuckled down and dove into the to the book of John. Really read it hard, trying to see what what he was saying about Jesus. And then on Thanksgiving Day, we went to Bratislava. So I was there at their house on Thanksgiving too, Scott. And I was baptized on Thanksgiving Day. Uh, we had been studying Acts chapter 8 with the church there. And I walked in and said, uh, there's water here. What hinders me from being baptized? Oh, beautiful! <laughs> <laughs> Rick started shaking and ran up to get his wife out of the shower so we could use the big bathtub there to <laughs> baptize me.
1: But, no, uh, I was assuming there was some thanksgiving.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, there was. And amazingly, I met a smell I don't remember if it was Daryl or Dale who was there that year for Thanksgiving, but they came and the buntings were in from uh, uh, I guess, in Budapest. And so all the Americans had kind of converged that weekend. And so after my baptism, there started showing up all these Americans that were working over there. And I remember sitting at the feet of those guys talking about some really deep things. It was in the book of Genesis they were talking about, which one of my favorite books now. And it was just I was just overwhelmed. My first day of life, and this is what I'm being fed. It was just amazing. So <laughs> um, yeah, i just uh God just richly blessed me with with all of that. But I do remember even coming up out of the water. It was a it's a big blue bathtub in Bratislava. That's the way I describe it. It was just <laughs> this huge kind of a hot tub thing they had. I remember coming up out of the water and hugging everybody, and then I thought, What have I done? What did I just do? And so I read Romans and and reread John right away. I just got in as deep as I could to figure out what I had just done. And uh, I think I mentioned this before. I had to ride the train home uh, after that weekend, and I remember looking at all these people on the train and thinking, "That's not them. There, there's something inside them. That's them. It's not what I'm seeing. It's their soul, and I can't even speak their language. How do I even talk to them? Because right away I saw there was a need for them to hear what I had heard. Right. Uh, And I had no way to get it to him. Uh, It was really, that was a frustrating moment, frustrating ride home.
1: (laughs) You know, I'm reminded of Ephesians where it says, let him that stole, stop stealing, work, so that you'll have to give to the person that has need. And I really like that transition. It's not just from don't be so unselfish you steal from other people. Be selfish enough you just mind your own business. No, be unselfish enough that you work, take care of yourself, but give to others. And so you started off trying to attack the Bible, and then you end up becoming a disciple of Christ, and immediately you want, you, you've got that heart to want to share it with other people. That's beautiful.
2: Amen. God is, God is amazing. Um, you know, the transformation that I see in myself frightens me sometimes as I look back at it, and you know, I'm so grateful that he was patient with me as long as he was, and that he worked everything the way he did. I mean, so many things had to converge for things to work out the way they did for me. Uh, obviously, somewhere in me, there was a good heart to be willing to listen to that, but it was, it was tough coming to.
1: Um, you, you, you remember in Matthew 13, there's two parables that are almost the same. There's a guy seeking pearls, and there's a guy that finds treasure in the field. What do both of them do? The point of so both. everything they have. Yeah, so, so everything the they got to get that, because this is what's most important. But there was a difference in the two. One stumbled upon it. One had been seeking it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like the, the eunuch who's traveled hundreds of miles out of respect for God to Jerusalem and studying Isaiah. And then there's the jailer who, you know, binds up the, the beaten apostles, you know, not concerned at all about their wounds. And in a few hours, he's, he's Christian. Well, yeah. proceed with us to back to Kentucky and then to Brazil. Oh, go ahead, Drew.
0: I don't know if you were going to go into it, Carl, but you mentioned a couple of times about you were, look, you were looking for the loopholes. What, what were you hoping to find? What would you be defining as some of those loopholes?
2: I just had always heard the Bible was full of contradictions. And so I just believed what I heard. Uh, I never really had any concrete examples. And so I went looking for them. And uh, back then we didn't really have the internet. I couldn't just Google Bible loopholes and try to find that. So I had to pick up the Bible and look through it and find where, where it contradicted itself. And the more I read it, the more I found it didn't have any contradictions. And now the more I read it, the more convicted I am. When I see what looks like contradictions and I begin to read their context, it's amazing. Uh, and so I, I'll point those out to people who talk about Bible's contradictions a lot and say, well, show me this contradiction now. Look at it this way. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I don't really, didn't really have anything exact in mind. I didn't know enough to get into what I was doing. So God blessed me even in that.
0: So would you say then the contradictions are there because we have a preconceived worldview that we want to hang on to and, and look at the Bible through that prism?
2: You know I'll say that, because uh, yeah. especially after our lessons that we thought we'd studied a while back in Genesis, you know, once, once our worldview has changed, and that's what kind of happened with me through some of those uh, circumstances that I went through. Once our worldview has changed... It does affect our perspective as we come to look at the Bible. Yes. I have looked at a lot of different things. I, I had studied some religion courses even when I was in college before my conversion. And I've never found anything that answers what the world's uh, situation, the human condition, like the Bible does. Nothing that even comes close. And so I'm just more and more convicted the more I read. And I want to share that with other people. So it's not
0: something. It's, uh, it's not something that you want to be true. Obviously, you were going taking the approach that you knew it wasn't, or you you thought it wasn't, and you wanted to prove it. But I wanted to make sure, or, because I struggled with other things earlier in my life as well. But did you did you get to a point where you were struggling with it, and you really couldn't answer
2: it honestly? Absolutely. And I didn't want it to be true because if it was true, it would condemn me. And that's really the point I came to is all of these things. I've been a blasphemer, you know, the way I've been living my life, I've been blaspheming against the God of heaven. And now I've come to find out he's real and this is really his word. And that was what frightened me. Mm. Uh, and, you know, I didn't understand the grace that was being extended yet.
1: I remember one time in Prague, uh, and this would would have been 91, talking with a young lady, atheist, evolutionist, and we went over some things on uh, some specific fossils and such. And she, she was kind of impressed, but didn't want to study more because it kind of scared her because it kind of made her think maybe she wasn't right, but talked her into talking again. And when we did talk again, she just was hardened, you know, she was arguing things that she knew she didn't believe, you know, just, you know, just roadblocks everywhere. And then she goes, can I be honest? Said, please do. She said, I don't want to believe. Because if I believe, I would have to change.
2: Yeah. I think we all come to a point like that. Um, not too long ago, Bertrand Russell had given an interview where he said they chose not to believe the Bible because it would, it would change their, their worldview. And they wanted to have the freedom to do what they wanted to do. Oh. Uh, it was in a very specific context, but you said that's, that's why we, we came up with our beliefs that we did, because we wanted to be able to support what we wanted to
1: do.
2: Uh, we all about. do that.
1: Bring us to back to Kentucky and then to Brazil and share a little bit of that for this, please.
2: Okay, so after my conversion, I spent the first weekend there. Uh, we Thanksgiving was on a Thursday, so we said that longer weekend. And I began to ask um, Rick and Dave where – where I should go from here. I was getting ready to go back in mid-December. I would be heading back to the United States. And I said, you know, I'm I'm a brand new Christian. I don't know anybody. I don't know where I would even go to find people who would be willing to study the Bible with me. And so they asked where I was from. And I told them Louisville, Kentucky. And they said, well, it just so happens, another bit of good providence. One of the major churches in our our support here is in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, I'll send them an email ahead to, to their preacher there, a man named Paul Earnhardt. Let them know that you'll be coming looking for them. And, uh, you know, you, uh, you just look them up and tell them who you are and, and what you've been doing over here. And they'll, they'll be willing to study with you and they'll help you to grow. They'll help you to uh, see the Lord. So I got back, uh, I think it was on a Wednesday or Thursday that I got back to the States. But that Sunday, obviously, again, we didn't have the Internet quite like we do now. So I didn't have GPS or anything. I remembered the name of the neighborhood, Douglas Hills. Uh, And I knew it was somewhere in the east end of town. And that's where I had spent the last few years of my life. So I just got in the car and started driving. And when I felt like I'd gone too far, I pulled over and started praying. I was like, "I I don't want to be late the first day of worship. I really should have done this better and looked it up. But I pulled over in a gas station. So I walked in to ask the guy if he knew where Douglas Hills was. And As it was coming out of my mouth, his name tag said, Douglas Hills BP. And I said, do you know where Douglas Hills is? And he said, yeah, right behind me. Uh, so literally a hundred yards away was the church building. Uh, and so I was not only not late, I was early, uh, walked in and sat down on one of the benches there kind of timid and kind of to myself, people were greeting me. And this elderly gentleman came and sat down next to me and leaned over and said, my name is Paul. Who are you? I said, said who I was and he had this shocked look on his face and said, well, I've got an email in my hands here printed out. I was just getting ready to announce that you might be showing up. Well, uh, welcome. And, uh, I happened to sit down right next to him and Wilma. That's this uh, on the few that I sat in is where they were going to be sitting. People, so,
1: wonderful. People.
2: Uh, yeah, just again, just wonderful, uh, profit in. But so in those first few months, I was, uh, I took a job at a factory and was trying to pay off my student loans, especially now my, uh, my student interchange, uh, exchange program loan. And, uh, a lot of people were talking to me about my conversion and, and how things had gone. And I kept telling the younger people that I was hanging out with, because I was a lot younger back then, that I was hoping to pay off my student loans and uh, go back to Europe. I knew that uh, Ligon diesel camps were going to be coming back in a couple of years and that I didn't know of anybody else that was going to be going to Bratislava to teach. And so I just thought I would go over there. Or I'd learn Slovak and go over there. And one of the elders, one day during one of those conversations, happened to be passing by and he stopped and said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, well, I'm, I'm going to go back to Europe. Uh, you know, I I was converted over there. There's not many people working and I'd like to go. And he said, son, I, I appreciate the fire in your belly, but you did lose your soul if you went over there right now. Wouldn't you rather spend a couple of years working with us here and learn a little bit more about the Bible before you make a decision like that? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we'd like to let you spend some time training and learning and studying the Bible here for a couple of years we'll support you in that. How does that sound? (laughs) I was just amazed. And so during those two years, I still had designs on Bratislava, but I began to study with a gentleman named uh, Gary Fisher, who had lived fairly close to Louisville and had lived in Brazil for a while. And uh, about a year and a half into our studies, he said, before you make up your mind to go back to Europe, would you be willing to come to Brazil with me and just see what you think? Uh, Well, (laughs) I went with him and, uh, in the two or three weeks I was there, there was such an overwhelming amount of studies. And um, I had studied enough Spanish that I could almost get by in Portuguese at that point. At least I could understand a lot of it. And so I just made a connection with several of the families there and with the work there. Uh, ended up not even not even going back and looking at Europe. Uh, came back to the States, learned Portuguese over the next six months got uh, what I needed to get a missionary visa and moved to Brazil in October of 99. So barely three years old as a Christian and uh, was down in Brazil. I I question the wisdom of that somewhat (laughs) at this point, but uh, I was was just guided every step of the way. God just opened doors for me and there I was in Brazil in October of 99.
1: Ended up marrying a Brazilian sister?
2: I did, who knew the sister who was instrumental in my conversion because she had spent a summer down there with Gary. Oh, and uh, so just just amazing.
1: If we've got about seven minutes left. If you would pick out just like three minutes or so of just some of the incredible people down there in Brazil or some of their sacrifice or something, I know there's a lot of it. I know you don't have, but if you'll just highlight a thing or two. And then if Drew and Jonathan, if you'll be prepared to close us out with a couple of thoughts from each of you. Go ahead, Carol
2: let me let me start and maybe i'll just just talk about this one family right now it's interesting that we were just talking about uh the philippian jailer because i just studied this text with them on uh, on sunday on saturday night uh there's a family in a in a pretty big city now in the middle of nowhere in brazil way out in the central uh, central part of the country where most population is not but they um they are a product of a man who was searching he was part of this kind of I don't know what you would call it. It was a religious group, but uh, kind of way out there, this really isolated kind of, uh, kind of thoughts and, and ideas that they espoused. And he was part of this. But his wife began to see that they weren't following the Bible. And so she found some courses that we were offering online in Portuguese and began to study one of those, got in contact with somebody who was at the congregation where I was in the south of Brazil and began to study with the women on a regular uh, Tuesday night study. Well, the women got to a point where they were trying to prepare some other lessons, and they asked if I wouldn't mind stepping in and studying something with with all the ladies while they were preparing something else for the next study. So this lady, Zaniji was there. And after our studies, she would stay on the phone a little bit longer and say, my husband's probably not going to be interested, but I would love it if you could study another night with me and with my three children. We're learning so much, and I just need this. And so we set up another night that I would study with her and her children. I kept asking if her husband was going to be concerned about that, or if he'd be interested in participating. But finally she convinced him to participate and she warned me ahead of time. He's going to be really antagonistic. He's not interested in the Bible truth. He's a good man and he thinks he's doing what's right. He didn't say a word. The first study, he didn't say a word. The second study, the third week in a row that I thought he wasn't even going to come back. He began to ask really good questions. I could tell. He was, he was being shaken in what he believed. About a month and a half in, he broke off from the group he was with and said, I think we're going to start meeting here in our home uh, as a small church. We need to know more, and can you keep studying with us? Wow. So, one of the things I wanted to tell you before, and I, I forgot to mention this when I talked about this uh, at Camp uh, a while back, they were driving an hour out into the middle of the wilderness to park at a gas station where they had convinced the owner to leave his Wi-Fi on at night so they could sit in the car and study with me a 100-degree weather at like 10 at night. Wow. Uh, yeah, they had no Wi-Fi where they were, and that's the only way they could have a signal so they could study. I found that out way into the study. But oh. yeah, that's dedication. And yes. three of them are now uh, Christians, the mother, father, and the oldest daughter, and two more are well on the way. So I studied with them on Saturday night.
1: That's beautiful.
2: That's wonderful. And I think about that really in some ways as a result of the work that was being done in Bratislava. Even, yeah. Because I was a product in the sense of that work. <laughs>
1: Oh. it's like the, a little leaven and it exactly. goes and goes and goes and goes and goes
2: mm-hmm. yeah that
0: everything you're talking about you kept using the word providence and that's what it is providence i, I look at it as uh, circumstances that god places every human being in and how we react and behave or interact in those circumstances it'll carry his will out uh, but it it'll have a positive or a negative effect on us and others around us. And I'm off. I go. I love the verse that, where Mordecai talks to Esther, and she was like, "What could I do in that story about where the Jews were going to be annihilated?" And she says, "I'm I'm just a woman. Uh, what can I do?" And he says, "If if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows?" whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. And that's what it is. Who knows? At the time we go through them, the time you're going through that, you don't see the big picture or all the circumstances, but that Christian woman that you met, the influence that she had on you, that you then, you had an attraction to her, and you wanted to save her from her foolishness. And then how that expanded into the, the going overseas. All of those circumstances, that's... How do you know you weren't put there? And look at the positive effect that you've made on other people,
3: circumstances. Jonathan. Yeah, and so just a couple of things. Um, I'm reminded in in Ephesians three. I just want to read a few verses. Um, Ephesians three, verse seven. Paul is talking, and he says of this gospel, which he's just going to be talking about, the gospel that that um, Jesus came to die and to save sinners from their sins. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which he was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though, I am I am the very least of all of the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. And so I know Paul is talking about himself. Paul is certainly a chosen instrument to go to the Gentiles and an apostle of Christ and Jesus appeared to him different situation than us but the fundamental principle there how Paul is viewing it is thank God that he waited for me and had patience on me mm-hmm. and now gave me the opportunity to be used to teach other people what what he's done for them because I've learned what he did for me and that's kind of the fundamental principle and it reminds me of the verse that um that um Scott brought up earlier um in uh, first Peter chapter two um you are a royal nation, First uh, Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. And, and as I listen to your story, Carl, um, it, it's amazing. And I'm so thankful um, that that happened for you and that, God, you know, grace, that God's grace reached you as well. But I think about my story, a lot different. Um, I, I kind of more identify with maybe a, a Timothy who was kind of brought up after generation and generation of people following the word. Um, but as I look into the Bible and I hear, you know, you talking about it, it reminds me, no matter where you come from, whether you come from a a position of unbelief or you come from a position of being raised in the truth, we've all received the grace of God and He's all given us the opportunity to be coming out of darkness and into His marvelous light and telling people about that. So so thank you for the encouragement that that is to me. True. Amen.
2: Uh, I always tell people: it doesn't matter what your religion is; you've got to convert to Christ. And so, you know, all oh, of
0: that's
1: it. good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Drew, all right,
0: questions? gentlemen. What, what were you going to say, Scott?
1: Any final comments, Drew?
0: No, no. I'm impressed with the story. I, I really thank you very much, Carl. Appreciate you sharing that with us.
1: Well, we can Anyone else, guys? Been so blessed. Yeah. Yeah. Carl, thanks for being with us. Thank you,
0: gentlemen. I appreciate it very much.